Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. But we're going to read Mark 4, 1 through 9 in your Bible, and I'm going to start now with the Word of God. Again, he began to teach by the sea, that's Jesus, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and as the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up and it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it did not produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who hears, who has ears to hear, listen. This is the word of God. What, um, what forms your heart? We often know what our hearts want to follow, but we don't often ask the question, what forms our hearts? Like what shapes what we love? Um, I'm not really a musical guy. When it comes to films, I don't really enjoy musicals too much. Like my genre of films is more like the sports movies in the action movies, and the war movies, and occasionally I like those like dark comedies or sometimes the ones that have like a sophisticated take on culture because I pretend to be sophisticated. Um, but in my house, my girls love musicals. I have three daughters, and these three women that I parent are instrument playing, singing, dancing women. And so they love musicals. Now, I'm not really a musical fan, but there's one musical that I found that I actually really do like, and there's one part of this musical that I really love, and it's from the musical, The Greatest Showman. Have you seen The Greatest Showman? Some of you seen The Greatest Showman? Just a few of you. It's a fantastic movie. And the scene that I really like is this song called From Now On. Now, the movie's about P.T. Barnum, the guy who did Barnum and Bailey's Circus. And what he finds is as he becomes famous, he wants more and more fame. He wants to be around more and more important people. He wants more and more people to look up at him. And as his heart gets formed by those desires and as he follows his heart, it wrecks all his relationships. It, it causes him to almost have an affair on his wife. All the kind of weird people that he's hired to be part of the circus, like he abandons them and really hurts them. And what I love about the moment where he sings from now on is it's realizing, it's him realizing that his heart has been formed by these desires that have not been good. And as he's followed his heart, it has wrecked his relationships. And as he sings the song from now on, it is him taking a change of direction as he recognized what's formed his heart. He sings this, I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praise my name. 
but those are someone else's dreams, the pitfalls of the man I became. And from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. And from now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. It starts tonight. And let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on. See, it's a moment where he realized that he had followed his heart, but he had never considered what was forming his heart until that moment. What forms your heart? What shapes what you love? Even as you think about this cultural mantra of following your heart, why do you wanna follow what you do in your heart? Um, sometimes what forms us is a love of money. Sometimes what forms us is a love of power or a love of security. Sometimes what forms our heart can be an avoidance of pain, a fear of shame. It can be a resentment or a pride or an anger. All of those things can form our heart. And if we're not careful, we will end up following our hearts that have been formed by something that should have never formed them. Jesus disorients us in this story because he wants us to, to stop with following the heart and really examine honestly what's forming our heart. Now, in the passage, it was a passage about a sower and a seed, and Jesus goes through and says, uh, let me explain the parable. And in verse 13, he says, uh, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. The sower is the farmer, and he spreads the seed, and the seed represents the message of Jesus, the good news that God's kingdom is now invading earth through the king that has come from heaven, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is God on earth, and though he is a king, he has come as a servant to die on the cross so that you and I could be reconciled to God. When people place their faith in Jesus Christ, the barrier between God and them is healed because all of our sins are placed on him. That's the message that the sower sows, the good, the good news. But the place that that word falls, the place that the seed falls is soil or dirt. And, and that soil and dirt represents our hearts. Now, I would say that means you guys are dirt, but I can't say that, right? Because uh, you get offended with me. But, but really, here's what it's getting at. Here's what it's getting at. The response to the seed, the response to the message reveals what has formed our hearts. In verse 15, Jesus says, some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Now, the, the seed that fell on the path, there was nothing for it to root down in because on the path, the path was packed down by people walking on it. The dirt was pressed together and there was no way for the seed to penetrate. And, and that really represents a heart that is impenetrable to the message of Jesus. It, it's a heart that is formed in a way that it's indifferent to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The Christian faith, at best, is an intellectual exercise to an impenetrable heart. There, there's no heart consideration of who Jesus is 
and what he's done. And I find this interesting because as a culture, we are more aware than ever of our own emotions. Like rightly so, we have become so aware of mental health. Rightly so, we have become so aware of our own emotions, yet at the same time, we don't see the connection between our heart and our heads. In other words, our heart and our heads are so connected that we might think we might be making a rational argument about something, but really the reason that we're making an argument in our head is because our head is tied to our heart. We, we, we see that we have emotions, but we're blind to the fact that our heart forms our head. And so, so oftentimes, I think people reject Christianity. Their heart is impenetrable to it because they've never honestly looked at their own lives and their own heart. I love this philosopher, Thomas Nagel, who was a uh, professor at NYU. He was an atheist, and he's one of the most honest atheists I've ever heard. He said this, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope, heart language, it's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Uh, Though his heart is impenetrable, he at least recognizes that his intellectual argument comes from the state of his heart and his heart being impenetrable. Now, that doesn't mean there's not intellectual questions. As people explore the Christian faith, there are a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions people have about science and faith and miracles and, and how does all that work. There's a lot of questions about, that people have about the God of the Old Testament and, and what was that all about with killing the Canaanites? There's a lot of questions that people have about hell and rightly so. But, but could you think about this question for a moment? Could you let the possibility form you that your heart doesn't want God to exist? That your heart doesn't want the message of Jesus to be true? Could you at least acknowledge, if you're not a believer here today, that that might be true of your own heart? Frank Turek, who's an apologist, says one of the great questions that he asks people who aren't religious believers is, if I could prove to you that Jesus rose from the dead, would you believe? And if the person says no, then he says, well, it's not an intellectual uh, issue for you then. It's a heart issue. If I could prove to you that Jesus is God, that he rose from the dead, if I could prove that to you and you still wouldn't believe, then it's not a head thing for you. It's a heart thing. And what Jesus is getting at is that our desires often influence our thought. Our, Our heart actually controls our head. And so if your heart is impenetrable to the message of Jesus, if you're not even willing to consider it, you need to ask yourself the question, what desires are forming your heart? What desires are forming your heart? In verse 16, Jesus goes on and talks about the next soil, the next heart, the seed that falls on rocky ground. Verse 16, and others are like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Joy with Jesus. Excitement because of the gospel. But the heart has been formed for a shallow response to Jesus. There's no root. 
There's no deep formation of Christ in the inner parts of who this person is. And so their walk of faith with Jesus is short-lived. The ESV version says that they endure for a while. They endure for a while because of distress. Now, in the Greek, that word distress means a pressing, like a pressing down. Uh, and, and, you know, as Christians right now, we're experiencing a pressing down on us because the culture more and more is moving away from Christianity. It's becoming post-Christian. And it's harder and harder to be a Christian. And, and we feel that pressure. Not only that, it's not just the culture. It's our friends and family. At times, our friends and family look at us and go, you are crazy for being a believer. And what can happen if we're not careful is that a deeper real happens in our heart. What our heart gets formed by is more the fear of our friends and family than the reality of the love of Jesus. And when that pressure happens, we were once excited about Jesus, but now we are afraid to follow Jesus. So we must be careful that our hearts are deeply formed by the message of Jesus so that when they are pressed on, we don't walk away. But, but Jesus also says the shallow heart can be shaped by the challenge of persecution. I know a lot of times we as Christians say things like, hey, listen, if you come to Jesus, like he will change your life. And that's absolutely true. Jesus will transform your life. Mark was talking about that earlier. Um, but a lot of times people look at Jesus and they go, yes, but I want Jesus to make my life better. I, I want him to take away all my problems. And, and let me just be honest with you, that's not Christianity. If you become a Christian, there is a good chance that aspects of your life will get more difficult. And I'm just being honest with you because that's what I found and that's what Jesus says. And sometimes I think people are drawn to Christianity because as churches, we can just create so much excitement around the wrong things. I know, uh, I know a mother here in South Florida whose, whose child was uh, like in his 20s and he went to this church and she said, listen, it was so exciting and I was so glad that my son got back into the faith because this church was just lights and smoke and all that. And, and I get it, I mean, we don't do that here, but some churches do do that. But, but she had this great concern for her son. She said, listen, here's my concern. Um, when it gets hard, will he continue to stand? When the excitement wears off and it's not about the smoke and the lights and he, and he finds out that not everyone likes the fact that he's a Christian, will he continue to stand? Will he be a seed that's deeply rooted or will he be a seed that's fallen on the rocky ground? We've got to go deeper than just emotional excitement about Jesus. We have to place our roots deep in who Jesus is. In verse 18, Jesus goes on and describes seed that's fallen among thorns. Others are like seed, seed sowed among thorns, but these are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes, what? Unfruitful. Um, the thorns represent a, a divided heart, like a heart that's willing to be mostly formed by Jesus, but then reserves some space to be formed by other things. 
And those other things aren't necessarily bad things, but they become a choking hazard. If you ever have a child, you know that good things and normal things and really everything in your house all of a sudden becomes a choking hazard, right? Like everything that you own, you have to make sure that your child does not swallow and choke on. And that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Some of the normal things of life that are not bad things, but are good things can choke out what he's doing in our life. So he just says, what, what are those things? What are the choking hazards? Well, one's the worries of this age. The ESV says the cares of this world. I got to get my car fixed this week, and then I got to make sure my bank account stays open, and then I got to pay my bills, and I got to run my kids around town, and then thing after thing after thing, and all of a sudden the cares of this world are weighing on us and choking out what Jesus is doing in our life. Not only that, but the deceitfulness of stuff, because immediately we go, well, listen, if I had more money, I would have a little bit more space, a little bit more breathing room. And, and that's true, but there's a deceitfulness that comes with that. It's like, I can handle life and I can be in charge of life if I have enough money. And so Jesus is just saying, sometimes the, the acquisition of more stuff can be a choking hazard. But then he says this, another choking hazard is just a desire for other things. Like you couldn't be more general than that. It's not that the things are bad, it's that the desire turns bad because the desire grows so much that it wants those things more than it wants the things of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can easily go there. Just a desire for other things, things that make me feel pressed or stressed or obsessed. Some of you, that other thing might be a relationship. For some of you, that other thing might be comfort or acceptance. But there is a, is a place where we are at risk of stop, of being stopped in our tracks as we try and let Jesus form us and create room for other things to form us on a deep, deep level. And then what does it say that that does? Well, it just makes us unfruitful. It chokes out what Jesus is doing in our life. So we have to be honest about what's forming our hearts. We have to ask ourselves a hard question and just say this to our own hearts. Is Jesus growing in you right now? Like, I didn't ask if you were perfect. I didn't ask if you never sinned. But I ask, is Jesus growing in you right now? And if he's not, there's a chance that other things might be choking out what he's doing in you. That the message of Jesus is not where you're looking for life, but rather you're looking for life in just other things. Other things. Is Jesus shrinking in your life right now, or is he growing in your life? Are other things forming your affections and your love, or is Jesus forming those things? Now, I didn't ask if he's doing everything at once. I didn't ask if it's happening quickly. But if Jesus is in your life, he will be shaping your heart. I know many people struggle with the Christian faith. There's a movement that many of you are familiar with called the deconstruction movement, where, where people, um, people look at the Christian faith and particularly younger people look at it and say, listen, I was taught some things about the Christian faith, and now as I look back on those things, I just don't think they're true, and I don't think they're real. And some people go through that, and they come back to Jesus, and some people go through that, and they walk away from Jesus. And, and I think we need to take that very seriously as the church. We don't need to just write it off. 
Because the deconstruction movement isn't just an excuse to get out of faith. I think it really is a crisis of faith. One of my friends, Ian Harbour, who's written a lot on the deconstruction movement, that says this, though. He himself um, went through a crisis of faith, and then over 10 years, he came back to Jesus. And he's very honest, and he said this in a text message. He said, the questions are real, but they're often spawned by something else that's under the surface. In other words, it's real to be swallowed up by doubts at times, but you have to be honest with yourself where the doubts come from. Is it just intellectual questions or is there a failure that's happened that's causing you to ask the questions? Sometimes it's the failures of the church. Sometimes it's the fault of other Christians. Sometimes it's the flaws of our parents. It's places of pain. And when you walk through that crisis of faith, the crisis of faith is not your fault. At the same time, you do have a choice with what you do with that pain. You do have a choice with what you do with your pain. And sometimes my fear with the deconstruction movement is that people are being so formed by the failures of others. Have you ever let your heart be formed by how bad someone else messed up? By how bad someone else's hypocrisy was? that will swallow you up and that will choke out what Jesus is doing in your life and it will affect everything. And the truth is, my wife and I have both been there. We've both been in places where um, the church was just a mess. And as I remember being in my early 20s and just was part of a a church where I felt like people who had more power than me and were older than me uh, either manipulated me or like didn't give me honest answers. And it took me really five years to walk through that pain. Um, But as I walked through that pain and that anger, I leaned back into Jesus. I leaned back into the church. And what I found was that experience didn't choke out what Jesus was doing. It actually clarified who Jesus was. It didn't make me run away from the church. Rather, I found out what a healthy church actually was. It didn't make me weary of God. It, rather, it really showed me who God is in the gospel. And so as you go through things in life, whatever it is, whether it's deconstruction or whether it's pain or whether it's just the desire for other things, we have to be careful that those things don't choke out what Jesus is doing in our lives. Because the point of this parable is that Jesus is saying to be good ground for the message of the gospel good ground for Jesus to grow in. In verse 20, Jesus sends the parable and says this, and those like seed sowed on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. The good ground here is the receptive heart, the one that hears the message of Jesus the one that welcomes Jesus into their life, the one that goes through praying and trial and hardship and yet still invites Jesus to help them grow. The one who believes and continues to believe and obeys, even when it's hard, and says, Jesus, rather than me following my heart, I want you to form my heart. 
And sometimes that process is hard and sometimes that process is painful and sometimes you take one step forward and two steps back in the formation of Jesus in you, yet it grows. Over time it grows. In fact, you're probably still here in church because Jesus is still working in you and you're good soil. And you have been through a lot in your life, but even deeper than that pain is the fact that you want Christ formed in you. You want the gospel. You want the certainty that through what Jesus has done, you are a child of God. You want to know with confidence that your sins have been forgiven by what Jesus has done on the cross. You long for, to see Jesus face to face. You long for him to return and make all things new and take away all the pain and sadness that we experience every day in life. And because of that, you're willing to let him form your heart and reorder what you love and make your heart good soil for the gospel to grow in. And so as we think about the disorientation, let's be reminded that our call is not first and foremost to follow our hearts, but rather to let Jesus and his message form our hearts. I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment as the worship team comes back up. I just want to ask you, um, did, did you see yourself in any of the soils? Uh, with no one looking around, I just want to ask you, did you see yourself maybe in the impenetrable heart? If that's you, would you, and you want me to pray for you, would you just raise your hand and let me know so I can pray for you? Amen. Thank you for raising your hand. Did any of you see yourself in the rocky soil, the one that has the shallow heart, the one that had joy and excitement, but yet when it goes through pressing and stressing, tends to not believe in Christ? Is that you? If so, if you raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Amen. Thank you for raising your hand. And then my guess is a lot of you feel this, because I feel this too, the divided heart, the risk of choking, the message of Jesus is in you, and yet there are constant pulls to other things. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Thank you for being so honest. Let me, let me pray for you now. Jesus, we thank you that you allow us to be honest. Like you give us this message and tell us it's not how we see ourselves, but rather how you see us. You, you call us out when our hearts are shallow or divided or distracted. And yet at the same time, you give us the path back to you. You give us the, the, the love that we need in order that we might love you more. And so I pray for those today who have divided hearts, Lord. Give them a greater love for you. Help them not to sink into shame or fear, but rather to run to you say, Jesus, increase my love. Lord, for those who might have a shallow heart that might struggle with the pain they're experiencing as they walk in the Christian faith, Lord, help them to root down in who you are. May they find a deeper love and a deeper compassion and a deeper boldness as they get to know you. Lord, and for those who are the impenetrable heart, Lord, <laughs> you have come and you have you have scratch the surface of the soil for all of us. And so we believe even if someone's heart is hard to you, you can soften that heart. And so we pray for those that would fall in that category today that you would soften their heart. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you. And might we even use this moment of singing and worshiping to open our hearts back up to you. 
to be formed by you in the deepest places of who we are, to experience your love and your glory and your beauty. We love you and we worship you. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.